to Two Girls, One Podcast, a weekly broadcast that, under no circumstances, should be consulted for legal advice of any kind. That said, it's never a bad idea to sue Mark Zuckerberg for any reason at any time. And now here are the hosts who went to Yale but got their law degrees on Craigslist, Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast, where we talk about cool, weird communities from the internet. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Allie. And we are the two girls. And the podcast part is handled by Matt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that's our producer. He's a professional. <laughs> we can trust him. Yeah, he's doing great work. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's like having a brother you never asked for. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We hired Gizmo to to edit our podcast. (laughs) Ooh, I like that one. What if if this is Matt's literal cry for help? (laughs) Matt's not, he's not okay, guys. He's not okay. He's not. He's not well. And this is how we know (laughs) men have trouble communicating their emotions. We need to help him. This is is when we find out Matt got turned into a robot. We didn't Mm. know. Oh, my God. He's other kin. He identifies as a robot. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, You know, that's um, maybe appropriate. Today's episode is sad. Oh. (laughs) So maybe Matt's just bringing us into the sadness. (laughs) Well, I guess we should let everyone know here at the top with (laughs) Matt's weird crying robot sound, whatever that is, that this episode does contain some things that might be difficult for certain users to listen to. Because one of our guests today did through the irresponsibility of the internet, deal with certain things, including an eating disorder. So if that is difficult for you to listen to, you might want to dip out for a bit when we start talking to our guests. But stay for the top because we'll try to be fun and lighthearted and we'll tell you everything about our lives. (coughs) Allie, what's going on in your life right now? Honestly, it's pretty great. I'm just doing lots of shows, having a great time. I'm going to be on KCRW today, uh, which (laughs) is the NPR news affiliate out here. So by the time this airs, it will already be out. I don't know how you find the segment, but it'll be out. (laughs) What are you talking about? They sent a reporter for Comedians vs. AI. Which is really cool because I've never had press come like before a show exists. Like she pitched, she wrote me before the very first one. But it's interesting because she said it's part of a larger piece around AI and the arts. So that's so I'm excited to hear the whole piece. Wow, Allie, you're part of the zeitgeist. Do people <laughs> still say that? Remember when that was a huge thing to be said, like in the aughts? I feel like it's still, a, you know, it's still a word that has a meaning. So it's great. <laughs> Lindsay, how are you doing? I'm also doing well. I am also 
also in a bunch of shows that you've seen, at least one of. You've seen both of them. Yeah, I did. I'm a good friend. She's a good friend. She goes to her friend shows. Come on. <laughs> um, so that's been really fun. And you seeing your shows has inspired me. And I'm like... Going to New York, I'm going to try to do my one-person show again, but I'm thinking maybe I'll try to do a bigger show, like not like Comedians versus AIs. I don't know why I was going to say that. I'm going to do a bigger show. <laughs> I think I'm going to do a show that's just like yours. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so my show is called Letters to the Boys I've Never Kissed. Look for it in New York in October. I'll keep you updated. I was thinking I could do sort of a monologist style show called Missed Kisses, where I have like three comedians on stage with me. And there is an audience member who comes up and tells a story of a time that they didn't get kissed. And then the improvisers like improvise based on the story that the audience member tells. Okay. We'll see. Well, I think you should be creating shows so we can talk about that. I love that. So today we are going to be talking to a family and their lawyer about their case against Meta. They are suing social media writ large in the form of the company Meta for irresponsibly gearing content towards their underage child that gave her lots of social and physical health problems. Yeah. So um, why we chose to cover it is just, you know, we're always covering internet communities. And actually, it's so interesting, Lindsay, because when we first started this podcast, I think the internet was like truly a different place, right? It was like, mm. I don't think it was pre-Trump, right, Matt? And Definitely. so, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and so, I don't know, it was just much more of like a silly optimistic place like remember when we thought it was really just going to be good for the world and then uh, we just there's just been so much like trump and the alt-right and there's just so much darkness that's come from it and that's what we're continuing to look at in a way is you know social media is so huge it's where all these beautiful communities have blossomed but the companies also don't give a shit about kids and who's watching it and the mental health outcomes and all they do is use their algorithms to feed more and more fucked up videos to use. So the sad thing is government doesn't understand the internet and they want to unplug it and plug it back in. Although I do think that's a pretty good plan. And um, they don't understand. <laughs> and so families are now taking things into their own hands and suing these companies. So that's what we're, what we're looking at. Well, what I hope is that it does bring more responsibility to the kind of proprietors of the internet. You know, the people who are, for better or worse, shaping culture and shaping how we interact with the internet. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's scary. Matt, if you have a second to use your actual voice, um, how do you feel about this as a parent? This is, this is I shouldn't have asked this. This is going to be. This is going to be a lot of this sound. Oh, it's a lot of this sound. Anyone who's chiming in like just for the first time is really confused. <clears throat> oh, sorry. I just had a little um... robot in your mouth. Also, are you going to like, I was like, is he going to give us trivia like this? Like what's happening? <laughs> How is uh, Thank God it's over. Okay. Listeners, if you know what instrument that sound was, oh. please leave that in our discord or send us an email and we will randomly draw all the correct answers and send the winner what? 
an autographed. Do you guys still have headshots? Yeah. Do you still use headshots for auditions yeah. and stuff? So Allie and Lindsay will, uh, this is all happening in real time. They don't know this. They will sign their own headshots and we'll find a way to mail them to you. Okay. I don't have a printed copy of my headshot. <laughs> print it out on your printer or send it to me. I'll print it out. What's crazy is I feel so old. Like when I first moved to New York, I had to get headshots and then like order like 300. And then I would like staple my resume to the back and mail them. <laughs> so stupid. Let me tell you how many jobs I got from that process. <laughs> 300? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, 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 that's how show business works. That was the math. Thank you so much for back believing in, in me, Lindsay. <laughs> so Matt, how do you feel about this as a parent? I mean, it's terrifying, and we'll get into that shortly with our with all of our guests. But I, I, as usual, I do want to make a distinction between the internet and for profit social media companies. The internet is still great; it's a great place to be. But if you're viewing it through the lens of an al- a for profit algorithm, it's always a race to the content bottom, which is a, a phrase I usually say, which is like. Hey, we got to get people looking and clicking and watching and how many how addicted can we get them to this news feed or this TikTok feed in order to serve the most advertising possible and the they have figured out that the things that make you sad and angry and uh give you FOMO and make you feel like you're need to do more like those are the things that are going to make billions and gajillions of dollars and this is what these lawsuits are about you know are these algorithms created knowing that they are addictive and also are they turning a blind eye to the millions perhaps billions of children who are not legally allowed to be on these apps i'll say you at least in the us and probably the eu um you can't be on social media if you're under 13 and then even if you are 13 if you're a teenager that's probably the worst time you should ever be using social media so to answer your question our kids are starting to flirt with like very closed systems of like they can text grandparents from, you know, shared devices, or they can watch YouTube videos that are approved. But I'm hoping we can keep our kids away from algorithmic social media forever. If not, you know, here, here's your here's your Instagram account on your 18th birthday. That's going to be very hard, but um, I would like to do that. Yeah, no, I think you need to not wait. If you force your kids to wait until they're 18 to get an Instagram account, they're going to get a secret one. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. No, you're absolutely right. It's about responsibility. And you you should like do like a trust. shared account where you sure. gift them an account and you have access to it. I like that plan. Or you kind of give them the privacy that they want, but you have, you know, important conversations with your kids of like, everything you're seeing here is generated for profit. It's not about your mental health. It's And so if you're ending up on in wormholes or you're feeling anxious because your friends are doing cool stuff and you're not like, that's all engineered and let's talk about it is, is going to be our policy as we go. But, but our kids are young. We don't know yet. Who the fuck knows what it's going to be? I think, I mean, I think starting with, we will post together. Tell me what you want to post and we'll make mm-hmm. a post together. And Mm -hmm. then telling them, you know, the things that you see on here aren't always exactly how people really feel. Like you have to ease them in as opposed to, well, now you're 14 and you are responsible. I think like starting at like 10, 11 here, let's do you, would you like to post to mommy's Instagram together? We're going to make an Instagram for you that's private and only mommy, daddy, grandma, and like your best friend Louise can see Mm -hmm. it. 
our daughter who is 10 sort of has that, but it's not social media. It's just iMessage on her watch. So she can only text with grandparents and us and a handful of approved adults. But again, it's not it's not algorithmic. It's literally like, hey, Nana, can we come over to the pool today? And then like that, it's just conversation. It's not social media. And there, I think there's an important distinction between those two things. So we're we're easing in. Technology is not bad, but for-profit, you know, social media is... It's just fascinating the number of things parents have to deal with today that, like, there really isn't a frame of reference. Like, well, Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, my parents did... Like, we barely had TV. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and we, my wife and I, are miles ahead because we work in media. So we use these tools for a living and and cover them in in a detailed way. Average parent, you know, we all have our skills. So I don't know how the fuck a car drives, but... Hopefully, I have someone in my life, in my network, who can tell me, yeah, your engine's busted. I'm the guy to help my kids and maybe other parents. Well, the fascinating thing about that is that the people who really work at in tech, you know, there's that documentary, <laughs> if they, the people who work at Facebook and Pinterest or whatever, they don't allow their kids to have technology. No, fuck no. Well, it's, I feel like now I'm talking about social media, like alcohol or whatever, you know, I think it's best to have your kids in try their first alcohol with you. So it's right. not associated with coolness right. or secrets. It's associated yep. with mom and dad and yep. very normal, not exciting things. Well, you have some trivia for us, Matt? I hate it here. <laughs> <laughs> We're out. See you next time, listeners. Come on. Tell us, you somebody out there, maybe in North Macedonia, you know what that is, what that sound is. Oh, uh, wow. Callbacks. I like this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what up, North Macedonia? It is an instrument native to a country that is not the United States, so I will give you that, uh, though it is not like... It's not like an ancestral instrument. It is a modern instrument, but it comes from a a place that is not here. So I'll I'll give you that. Anyway, today we're covering lawsuits filed against social media and tech companies. Today's trivia is about other legal proceedings from recent history involving tech and media companies. All of the lawsuits below are strange, interesting, and in some cases, comically frivolous. So I have five (laughs) of them for you. All of these lawsuits are real, except for one. Wow. Which is the fake one that I made up? Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. A, in 2020, a deaf man sued Pornhub, citing the Americans with Disabilities Act because he was unable to enjoy a video called, quote, Hot Step Aunt Babysits Disobedient Nephew, end quote, because that video did not contain closed captioning. That's choice A. Or is it choice B? In 2011, 64,000 tech employees sued Google, Apple, Intel, and Adobe, alleging that they colluded to not hire each other's employees uh, in order to keep wages low. That's choice B. Remember, you're looking for the fake one here. That would be so maniacal. (laughs) Okay. Or is it C? In 2016, actor Lindsay Lohan sued the parent company of Rockstar Games, alleging that the character Lacey Jonas in Grand Theft Auto V is based on her. These all feel really realistic. D. Two Facebook users met and fell in love over a long distance playing the game Mafia Wars on Facebook. But after a very public breakup on the social network, the woman sued the man for $8,300, which was the approximate amount she spent on gifts 
for her ex. She sued the man because he broke up with her after she sent him a lot of gifts, gifts let's say. That one is so stupid that it should be fake, but I have a feeling it's <laughs> so stupid that it's true. real. Yeah, that's definitely true. All right, here's what here's the here's the final one. There's, there's five altogether. Again, 2011, uh, an Indonesian monkey grabbed a photographer's camera and took a selfie. These notable images soon ended up on Wikipedia and, of course, many other websites in the public domain because animals cannot retain copyright. However, the photographer sued the Wikimedia Foundation, claiming that he created the conditions in which the monkey would take the selfie, uh, and therefore the photographer owned the copyright. Bonus... PETA filed a separate lawsuit <laughs> claiming animals should be able to own copyrights. That is choice what? E, the monkey selfie. Yo, that's for sure for real. I mean, like that, I remember that happening. And PETA be suing everybody, dude. <laughs> I wish that the, the energy behind PETA was behind anything to help humans. It's wild. They are stumping for animals constantly. Those are your five choices. However, you also have F, which is that all of these are real, or G, none of these are real. They're all real. Allie goes with F, that they are all real. They definitely all sound real. Okay, the, the last two are definitely real. I'm gonna go with B, not being real. Okay, the collusion among big tech to keep wages low. You're saying that's not real. Yeah. But not a real lawsuit, okay. Lindsay goes with B, Allie goes with F, that they are all real. We will find out what the correct answer is after this important commercial break. Have you been injured by another podcast? Well, come to patreon.com slash 2G1P and donate at the $10 or more level and we will protect you from those other podcasts. Thank you to our clients, Wesley Cordell, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Kathy Phillips, Matthew Scott, Melissa Elliott, William, Jessica Kybell, Ken M., and Kelsey Murray. You all have contributed to the law firm of Two Girls, One Podcast at the $10 or more level. And if you would like to be like these happy, healthy clients, then please consider donating yourself. Website for smoking hot legal advice, Craigslist.org. I am a lawyer, and people find me quite appealing in bed. Then again, my legal briefs are always packed with excitement, and I always take time with my pro bono, <laughs> pro, pro bono clients. Plus, I'm constantly praised for my oral skills. If you've done something bad, give me a call. I'll be right here to get you off. I mean, really, there's a reason it's called the attorney-client privilege. I'll take care of that civil action, and you know I'll keep it confidential, even if you've just blown the case wide open, if you know what I mean. We'll take the position 
make the motion, and you'll get what's coming to you. And that's a precedent us lawyers will set. And then, because it always comes back up on appeal, we'll overturn it for you. And we already know it's in arrears, and we're taking care of it. And if that's got you all hot under the collar, we know how to play justice. So come on, baby, don't trust that hearsay. Give it a trial run. Don't you know your rights? Because if you want a lawyer, one will be provided for you to stop that unreasonable search and seizure with just one hearing. Though I don't think you'll be exercising that right to remain silent. I guess you've never heard of jurisdiction. Uh-oh. I think there's been a breach. Objection overruled. I think I have a higher tolerance for lawyers than most people, but I don't think I would be spending a lot of time with that one. My parents are lawyers, so that was the grossest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I imagine that this is what your parents talk to each other like when they're like getting oh, in the no, mood. No, we're out. I am. I'll see you next time. It's been great to be here. I mean, that's how you get twins, baby. Oh, oh. kill me. <laughs> Okay, trivia? Trivia. Yeah. What's the fake lawsuit regarding tech companies? Nobody chose A, that a deaf man sued Pornhub because they were not uh, captioning their videos. Because we all need the story. We want to we follow That them. is an absolutely correct lawsuit. I hope they won. Mm-hmm. B, that 64,000 tech employees sued all the big boys for colluding to keep wages down. Lindsay thinks that's fake. C, Lindsay Lohan sued Grand Theft Auto V because they, she thought there was a character based on her. Nobody picked it. Oh, wait, I'm going to switch to that. I'm going to switch to that. Ooh, I'm switching. Very nice. All right. So you think that's fake. Very nice. I am changing the answer on the official ledger. I don't think she has the wherewithal to get it together to sue somebody. I think she's just like, ugh, let me just live my life. <laughs> Two Facebook users met and fell in love in Mafia Wars, and then the woman sued the man for $8,000 because she sent him a lot of gifts after they broke up. Nobody chose that. E, the monkey selfie uh, in Indonesia. Or F, all of them are real. Ali chose F. Nobody chose G. The correct answer is F. They are all real lawsuits. Yeah. Most of them, I don't think were successful. I, I didn't write that down, but um, <laughs> the the monkey selfie in particular, I'm glad you both recognized that one because that, that's that I don't know, huge. It's a very interesting uh, yeah. precedent. I recognize that one for sure. I also recognized the Pornhub one. I knew that one. Okay. I, I think that's really funny because he's absolutely correct under the Americans with Disabilities Act. But who's watching the porn for the subtitles, you know? Right. It's like the visuals are there. The visuals are there and also that there would be like um, us and um, you know, gro- you know, uh, groans of passion that need to be captioned. I like now that we kind of know how those are spelled. It's like U U U H N, but that's all due to this dude. Yeah, and why? I mean, this was okay. This is was in 2020, but like YouTube cap auto captions everything. Like no one is necessarily Wait, suing a YouTube video. Pornhub wasn't captioning things in 2020. That's what I'm at. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah, that they're not auto captioning. Wait, also like during the pandemic when everyone was just yeah. home jerking off, 
when Amazon delivery workers were overwhelmed because everyone was ordering dildos and Pornhub wasn't close, wasn't captioning? Well, Pornhub was like free for a month. They were like, hey, you ain't got shit yeah. to do. Here, just enjoy Pornhub. I also wonder if today's trivia was just very uniquely American. Like our, our international listeners just like, yep, they sue for everything. Like I feel like it's such a stereotype. Well, that monkey picture was in Indonesia, so no. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. And yeah. Yeah, yeah but they the, the photographer sued the Wikimedia Foundation because they because Wikimedia assumed the photo was in the public domain because it was captured by an animal. Also, I'm sorry, PETA, like someone needs to stick up for the animals, <laughs> but why would animals need copyright? That's insane. Yeah, that's such a separate, it's a separate thing. PETA thinks that animals are people too, which is literally my line. If an animal can own a copyright, wouldn't they be afforded other rights? Uh, let's call them sentient rights, not human rights. Oh, so maybe it's like a strategy just to get them more. Okay. It's a strategy. It's a legal, it's very interesting. It's very yeah. smart on their behalf, actually, yeah. when you think about it. Okay, listeners, before we welcome our next guests, I just want to let you know that Allie has had a minor personal emergency. She's totally fine, but she will not be able to join for this part of the show. And now I'm going to welcome our guests, Alexis and Kathleen. Alexis is a rising college senior. Kathleen is her mother and together they are advocating for changes in social media platforms. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So I am so fascinated by this because actually the things that Alexis, you have been dealing with for, for years and years now are things that young people across the planet have been dealing with for decades, uh, especially since the rise of media in general and in particular social media. So I would love to start off kind of by talking about you as people because Alexis we were talking a little earlier and you were like getting interviewed is so weird for me because I'm actually mm -hmm. a very quiet and very private person yeah. and I think that it's very important for people like you to talk about what this whole thing has been like because it is quiet and private people who are probably in the most danger of being susceptible to things like this so I would love for you to just kind of talk about who you are and, and what you're like before we talk about how social media has affected that person that you are. Yeah, um, I'm definitely not someone who wants to be in the spotlight. I <laughs> have always kind of dealt with things internally rather than externally. I know a lot about who you are today, right? You, you are a very active person, a very busy person. Yes. You're an EMT, you're a college senior. But tell me a little bit about what you remember about 11-year-old Alexis. And Kathleen, you can also tell me what you remember about 11-year-old Alexis. Yeah, 11-year-old Alexis was still a very proud person. She was very into musicals and performing, was just excited about life. And when she was in middle school and she started doing all these things, she was very excited. She got webcams. She was making her little webcam videos. And as then time progressed and the more that she had access to social media, she just slowly began to withdraw and became a person we didn't even know anymore. And it was really sad because we lost our little girl. That's so interesting. Alexis, do you remember 
sort of being, because it sounds like you were maybe a little bit of an extrovert, you know, sharing yourself with the world, cameras and musicals, which are a place Mm -hmm. for people who are both ways, right? It's like, I'm loud all the time, or I'm never loud. And I'm only loud when I'm in a musical, you know? Yes. Um, I was definitely uh, more extroverted when I was a kid, I think. Like I think back to 11 year old Alexis and I think she was very outgoing and carefree. Like my mom said, I really was into webkins and making different videos or taking pictures of them. I was also super into the musicals and I really loved the singing and dancing and acting. I also did some, oh gosh, what was, I think it was called Bellport Idol. It was a singing competition. And I look back now and I'm like, oh, gosh, I could never do that now. (laughs) (laughs) I think for Alexis, though, she was always a protector. And I think a lot of this as private as we are as a family, she always wanted to protect the person who needed help the most. And I think that's really where this all stemmed from is we want to protect the future generations. When Alexis was in, I think, fifth grade, I want to say. There was this girl she was friends with and she was being bullied and she was behind the schoolyard where the adults couldn't see. And one girl had her hands tied behind, like holding her hands behind her back. And the other girl was in her face, bullying her and saying these horrible things to her. And instead of most kids would have gotten an adult, not Alexis, she went right up to them and she said, leave him alone and, and stood up for the girl and the bully is back down. So I kind of look at this in the same way as the social media companies are the bullies and Alexis wants to change it. Yeah. Alexis, I feel like even now, like knowing you as little as I do, the the things that come out first, when we were scheduling this, you were talking about, oh, you know, that day I'm going to pick up my friend. They need me to pick them up from work. And oh, (laughs) I'm working a 12 hour shift as an EMT that day. So what your mom is saying is definitely still within you. You're a caretaker. You're looking out for people. And it sounds like that's something that you were trying to do for yourself on your own, which is not something that an 11, 12, 13 year old can actually do. So when did you realize, hey, I don't know if this is good for me. And you kept it a secret instead of saying to someone else that you might need help. I think for me, I didn't want to feel like a burden. So I kept everything in because I didn't want my struggles to weigh other people down. And I told myself, I can fix it myself. And I was actually talking with my friends the other day. And we were talking about middle school, high school, whatnot. And I was saying how, you know, looking back, I uh, minimized everything. I minimized everything. And I was like, oh, it was never a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. But now that I'm, you know, nearly 21, I look back and I'm like, no, you were in a really, really bad place really struggling and we're quiet about it for far too long. Yeah. I can only imagine how hard it is to wake up one day and find yourself in a position that you never expected to be in. And I, I work with kids often and I see it. It's, it can happen a little at a time. So little, so little. And I hear kids saying things to each other like, Oh, you shouldn't do that anymore. That's for kids. 
and you see kids who are like not ready mm-hmm. to interact with the world in that way. They're and in small things, it's like they're not ready to to carry a purse. You know, I, I they just want to carry a backpack. The small daily pushes that your peers are are like kind of dragging you into adulthood can yeah. be intense. So, what do you think were the first forays into a social media world that was more mature than you were ready to handle? What do you think those first little steps were? When I first downloaded Instagram, it was for the purpose of sharing the pictures that I would take of my webkins and kind of sharing the adventures I would go on with them. Uh, I would always find myself going on walks or just kind of exploring, going wherever I went. And I wanted to share that. And photography has always, and even still today, is something that's very prominent and important to me. And I really enjoy doing it. I would upload these photos and then the explore page would come up and it would show you suggested content. And it started with, you know, models and stuff and showing different Victoria's Secret models or bikini shoots or whatever it was. You know, I would interact with those because, you know, I was a kid. And when you're 11, 12, 13, and you're going through all of these changes and your hormones are changing. And especially for girls, you get your period and then your body starts to really change and you start to grow. And I think that was difficult for me. And you really ask any kid, you know, it's not specific to just girls. Something that they want is they want to fit in when they're young. And when I am seeing every day, these beautiful, thin women it kind of just put into my brain, well, that is what I have to do to fit in because every single post that I scrolled past was somebody with the exact same body type. Mm. I don't know. That just kind of makes me think I see a lot of backlash about uh, different companies using real bodies. And I actually saw something the other day on Twitter and they were like, oh, we're showing people how to be fat and get diabetes. I'm like, number one, do you know what diabetes is? Because it seems like you don't. <laughs> and number two, if anything, it's showing people what you know real bodies look like. And it's really comforting to be able to see that. Yeah. I saw a video recently where this, this woman was exercising and she was a larger woman. And he was like, it's not healthy for us to put these out there saying that this is a good way to be. And another guy comes on and he goes, <laughs> She's literally exercising. (laughs) What do you want from her? And I was like, this is so true. And that the the guy who was chastising the other guy was skinny. And he's like, how is it going to help if my skinny self puts my workout up there? That's not going to help someone who's larger. No matter what I do, I'm going to look like this. (laughs) So, you know, what if no matter what they do, they look like that? And they're just showing you what it's like to work out in that body. Mm -hmm. This is what we have to start doing is showing all of the different ways that it is okay to be. Because everybody is a beach body if you take that body to the beach, baby. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We have to talk about Webkins because I don't know if everybody knows what Webkins are, but it's kind Mm -hmm. of like the Beanie Babies meets the Pound Puppies is what I I was (laughs) imagining. So could you tell me about Webkins and why they're fun and why kids are into them? They were so cute. I was literally obsessed with them. I distinctly remember making a binder for them and I wrote down all of their names and the kind of webkin they were and essentially it was this little stuffed animal and it came with a little tag on its paw and then you would put that tag 
the code from the tag, you would put it onto the website because it was a it was an online game that you could play. Mm-hmm. And then you would decorate your house and play different mini games. It, it was super cute. <laughs> so you had a real stuffed animal and then took it into the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And took care of it. That is so cute. I'm obsessed. Beanie Babies meets Tamagotchis meets yes. Animal Crossing. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's wild and amazing and so cute. And it's funny, do they have their own social media platform just for Webkins? Because that seems like a really easy fix. <laughs> Back when Alexis was a kid, it kind of was because you would log the code for your animal and you can interact with other animals online. Well, you couldn't interact with other people. Mm, okay. You could never interact with other people. It was essentially a solo game. Like mm-hmm. I remember playing with one of my uh, best friends from childhood. I hung out with him last night <laughs> And we would play together all the time. And I remember he would call up the house phone or call my mom's cell phone and be like, can me and Alexis play? And we would go on online and we would just talk to each other, but play at the same time because there was no chat feature on the website or game. I'm glad where we've gone here because I think it's a fascinating starting point to the discussion because there are laws that say if you're making a platform for kids, you have to follow these restrictions and you have to keep it safe and you can't serve them advertising and they have to be over 13 usually depending on what the game is. And so there are firm guidelines around kids online media. And then we get to Instagram which is everyone can do whatever they want. And I think that's where Alexis's troubles perhaps have begun, right? right? Because we're trusting that a 13-year-old is going to click the, yes, I'm over 13, but really (laughs) they're Mm -hmm. 11 and 12 and their Mm -hmm. parents have no knowledge that they're doing this. I know for Alexis, she was using other friends' devices and computers to go onto these platforms without our knowledge or consent And there was no checking. And I find it mind boggling because if I think back to when I was younger, before Alexis was born, before Facebook was called the Facebook, they actually (laughs) would check that you were a college student and would let you on their platform. So if you had the technology back then, then why can't you check now to make sure that these kids are of the age that they say they're supposed to be? And even if they're checking, even if you're by the book, I am 14 and I'm going on these, pl- like, still, it's, there's a huge problem going on here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, you're still dealing with minor brains who are completely susceptible to the world around them. And the algorithm and the social media companies are taking advantage of that for profit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really think that uh, one thing that a lot of people have said, and it seems like the number one thing that people have to say about it is, well, why didn't you just get off? Or why did you like look at that stuff if you knew it was bad? Like, I don't get that. I'm like, do you remember at all? Have you ever even been in the vicinity of an 11 year old (laughs) within the past week? Because you haven't. (laughs) Or within the past year, because it's absolutely ridiculous to say that, especially when adults have difficulty getting off social media platforms. Exactly. Adults aren't taking it in the same way, but they're consuming just as much. Their screen times are out of control for every age group. But the danger is when you aren't 
able to cull. Like I get pitched weight loss ads all the time and I'm like, ooh, maybe I should do that. But I'm an adult. And I'm like, I don't have time for a deep dive into this thing that tried to get me to buy my way to mm-hmm. thinness. You know what I mean? What do, what do these kids really know about, because, you know, on the topic of weight loss and body image and all that, I would go on these things and it would say, oh, how to lose five pounds in five days. And I'd be like, oh my God, really? You can't lose five pounds in five days. You can't. And also what child needs to lose five pounds? I don't care if you're a fat kid, whatever. You're a kid. Just like live your life. And like you don't know what your body is doing at that time. Yeah. Also, sometimes they're pitching you things that are, oh, a healthy body is this. And if you're a child and an adult is telling you this is what a healthy body looks like, even when they are wrong, you don't know that. Right. (sighs) A healthy body looks different on everybody. I also think what you are seeing or I'm seeing as adults on Instagram and other social media platforms is much different than what kids are seeing. There was a study called Deadly by Design by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, and they created, it's an interesting study, two TikTok accounts claiming to be 13-year-old girls. They did it in the US, the UK, Australia, and Canada, and they created two accounts, one called Lauren and one called Lauren Lose Weight. And within two and a half minutes, these accounts started receiving videos about self-harm and eating disorder. And the account that was labeled Lauren Lose Weight got 12 times more harmful content than the one that was just identified as Lauren. So it just goes to show you how vulnerable the algorithm is toward the youth and that your version of social media as an adult is much different than what our children are seeing. And that's really what the concern is. Another thing is with people throwing their stones at us and saying, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I think for me is, well, why is it there in the first place? And it's not even why is it there? It's that they know it's there. They know it's there and they've known it was there for years and years and years and years. And Mm -hmm. there was never any change in removing this content. There's no reason that there's dying bodies because that's what they are it's dying bodies it's not healthy bodies they're dying bodies that are being shown on social media and different hashtags that are still kept up what was it for you alexis hashtag anna which is really where it started for alexis why don't you tell them about that i i was scrolling through instagram and there was a a photo that came up and it was this pretty girl, whatever. And I click the hashtag and it was hashtag Anna. And there was a thing that came up and it was like, oh, are you sure you want to look at us? And I'm like, what? It's literally a name. Yeah. She thought it was for a person. I'm so, I was so confused. So I clicked it and then it was just kind of like, boom, (laughs) malnourished body after malnourished body. So wait a minute, just to clarify, was that Instagram, the platform saying like, are you sure this is appropriate for you? Because we know what it is and we're not, we're not sure if you want to see it. Am I understanding that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was like a little thing that popped up uh, saying, oh, are you sure you want to look at this? And I was like, yeah. Yeah. But for Alexis, who on Instagram has already, well, first off, she had clicked originally that she was 13 we had no knowledge or consent to this. Mm -hmm. But then she publicly stated 11 years young, 12 years young. And then when this hashtag Anna comes up, she thinks it's a movement for a person named Anna and was trying to see what was happening with Anna. 
she was immediately spun into this anorexic content and unhealthy eating content and sickly people. And it was literally clicking that hashtag once completely flooded my feed with it. And it was all I saw daily. Wow. 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 Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, the other thing is you joined Instagram and what sort of inspired you to join Instagram from the other ways that you were interacting with the internet previous to that? Because I know your parents probably weren't like saying, hey, why don't you join Instagram? (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) I assure you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So how did that happen? Because that's probably also part of it, right? And then were were any of your other friends also following this hashtag Anna? I wanted to find community online and you know, social media is a good thing in that respect that it can connect people and build communities when you might feel like you don't have other people that feel the same way or think the same way that you do. But it very quickly turned into something dark. And once I kind of discovered that hashtag and my media started changing, I was like, you know what, let me keep this part of me separate and kind of only project one version of myself, but keep the real version internally. And I didn't want people finding out about, you know, the way I was thinking about myself or thinking about my body. So I just made another Instagram account. (laughs) I think Mm. at that point it was 12 that I had made the second one. Which I now learned is called a Finsta, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It didn't have a name then, but yes, (laughs) that was kind of where I would look at different models. And that was kind of the dark space for me. And then I had the Webkins account. And then I had, so at this point, then I had three Instagram accounts. Then I had the one that was for my personal life and myself that I would follow friends and stuff on. So once this Anna hashtag showed up, you were like, oh, you could kind of feel it was different. It, it, Mm -hmm. it, there was, people always ask, how do you get into a bad situation? And you're like, I know that it's bad, but I'm still curious about it. And I don't know who to go to or how to talk about it because I'm kind of like, oh, this isn't right. I also think that I was a kid and I just didn't realize how bad it actually was. Because there's a difference between being bad just because it's more mature than mm-hmm. than I'm expected to be and it bad and being sinister. And it's hard to, to feel out that difference because kids yeah. are trying to figure out who they are, right? And they're like, I'm growing, I'm maturing, and maybe this is just something that is just a little bit beyond me, but I'm almost there. And when I get there, I'll know how to do it. Right. I kind of feel like it's the algorithm preying on the insecurity of our youth. I look at it like this. Happy people, whether they're kids or adults, they're out living their life. It's You're not going to be online into your phone. It's when you're feeling insecure, unhappy, and unsure of yourself that you're going to continue to seek something in that platform. And like Alexis said, looking for that like-minded people. So if I'm happy, I'm out living my life. If I'm insecure, I'm seeking for the like-mindedness that I'm searching for in my phone. And that's what the social media platforms want. They want you on that phone. They want you looking and they're preying on your developing insecure mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Alexis, I know that eventually it it wasn't just consuming this harmful and and especially 
negative and directed content, but it, it turned into an actual physical manifestation of all of this information that you had been taking in and you began to self-harm. And I would appreciate it. And I know that many people could probably benefit from hearing what your actual struggle was and, and how you sort of went into an even darker place than, than most people probably realized. Yeah. Um, so the self-harm was definitely something that was hard to deal with because it was very shameful. And it was like, I knew that it wasn't right. And I knew to hide it. Were you taught to hide it from these accounts? Yeah, people would kind of share online that you have to hide it. Wow. Because, you know, obviously, if it's found out, people are going to want to help you. But it was kind of construed that getting that help was bad. And this form of release or whatever you want to call it coping was acceptable and okay, even though it was obviously harmful. Same with the eating disorder. You know, people would share, I did this to get out of dinner. I do this to get out of breakfast. I don't know. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to share yeah, don't, harmful I'll, tips either. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, th- but that's exactly what they were explicitly saying. Yeah. Hey, we're all in this together and this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. I expected it to be grifters uh, selling products or getting likes and comments for engagement for for nefarious purposes. But what what you're shedding light on here, Alexis, is that it is this is an internet community unto itself. Uh, obviously, a very destructive one. Yeah, I think even it just connected her with. You know, she was a minor at the time, and it was connecting her with adults who were promoting this harmful behavior, all that the algorithm brought to her because they shared like interests. So my question is, why is an adult allowed to connect with a minor that they don't even know? But that's all acceptable with the algorithm of these social media platforms. Yeah. Alexis, what, who were the people that you were, what were, you don't have to say exactly who they are, but what types of people do you think you are mainly interacting with and were, was it a, did the balance skew towards consuming versus connecting? Looking back, as much as it kind of disgusts me to think about, I think the majority of the people I was interacting with were just grown men. Mm. Because even looking back, I don't know, mom, if you remember, but there was people who would brand themselves as a quote, Anna coach, and they would coach you how to lose weight quickly and how to be like the best anorexic you could be. And they would have you send them pictures and it, it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. And, and all this for me as a wow. parent came out through this process over the past two years and because she was taught to hide it. So she had these accounts that she learned to hide. And I'm going to tell you my, and Alexis will even agree. I am the most on top of a parent that there could be. I was at every PTA meeting, every parent conference. I was there, made sure all the homework was done. And I didn't see this right underneath my nose. But as we went through this discovery process over the past two years, there were people literally saying to her, send me pictures of you so they can gauge where she needs to lose weight. And if she didn't do lose the weight that she was supposed to, there were certain punishments that were entailed. 
why were these adults, like Alexa said, probably grown perverted men allowed to contact with her? If, if she even, well, she identified as a 13 year old, but even went on the platform outwardly publicly saying that she was 11 years young and 12 years young. Why wasn't, why didn't Instagram shut it down? And number two, as an identified minor, why was she allowed to connect with these adults? It's just mind boggling to me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a world where Meta, Instagram, these companies literally know everything about you. Like they know everything about your demographic, where you live, how old you are, your racial identity, and and like to serve you advertising. So Mm -hmm. it would be relatively trivial to say, oh, this is clearly a minor. We got to put a safeguard around it. Like they, they're showing you advertising to, yeah. to that purpose. They can say, oh, well, you know, if they check yes, how are we to know? And it's like, you know everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes, they conveniently play dumb. Right. And that's the thing is like when all of these papers came out, like the Facebook papers, and they do know. They know. <laughs> They've known the whole time. And they hid it. They hid it for all these years. And and so and if you actually read those Facebook documents, there is one part in them where the upper CEOs, I won't name names, of Facebook, they said, Oh, well, 80% of minors know that they can have multiple accounts. And then they wanted to know, well, how can we get the other 20% to know that they can have multiple accounts? Why does a minor need multiple accounts? Because I get in a professional world that you need to have as an adult, your professional life and your private life. But a minor does not need multiple accounts, yet they were promoting it. They knew the like button was causing self-harm specifically to girls. They could have turned it off and they chose not to. It was just so... It was set up to harm kids and they knew it and they didn't want to stop it because it was about the money. Yeah. Yeah. It's not fair. Like, I think my question is to to all of the people who have, you know, negative things to say about it is why are you asking an 11 year old and 12 year old to make these choices and make it a safer place for themselves when the people in power who created the app have the power and know that making it X, Y, and Z instead of ABC would make it a better place. They know that. So why are you asking an 11-year-old to fix the problem and fix it themselves and not grown men who are in charge of the companies? Why why don't you ask the CEO to do it? Mm-hmm. Don't ask an 11-year-old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all know the answer is money, which exactly. is why exactly. capitalism <laughs> is the devil. <laughs> Kathleen, how did you find out about it? Like, when did you realize and really actively intervene to to get your daughter help to the point of having her hospitalized? Yeah, it was quite the struggle for my husband and I. It was a very dark time. I remember Alexis was trying to hide these things for us. And I would go through her phone. I would take the device away at night and I knew something was wrong. But in hindsight, the social media platform was helping her to hide it from me. But the day came when I received a call from the school that to come on in, my husband was already at work and he was an untenured teacher. So he wasn't able to come. So I went with my mother and one of Alexis's Finsta accounts um, had these remarks about self-harm and wanting to hurt herself and take her life. And at that point we had taken her to the hospital. 
However, prior to that, it didn't just come to that head. Before that, we were trying to get her help because we did see a change in her behavior, even though we couldn't put it together. You know, in hindsight, I know it was social media, but at that point, even the doctors didn't know it was that. So I had her in counseling. I was taking to her to a nutritionist. I was taking her to an eating disorder doctor. So I was doing all these things to try to help my daughter. And then when we had brought it to the hospital, she was there for, I think, 10 or 15 days. It was it was horrible, it, it, honestly, because there were days up leading up to this that I was, I've told Alexis this just yesterday, I was afraid to leave the house in the morning because I was afraid of what I was going to come home to because I thought I was going to come home to a dead child. I knew she was depressed and I didn't know how to fix it. And I think at the time we did not know it was because of social media. Even after we had her in the hospital and we had her in a good place and we sat down with the doctors, at that point, they never actually identified it as social media being the platform. They said, the phone, you need to limit the use of the phone. So to think then at that very same time, and I'm thinking maybe 2017-ish, if you go back and correspond that to the Facebook papers, Mark Zuckerberg knew exactly that this was harmful content. And here I am sitting in a hospital praying to God that my daughter doesn't die. And he knew that his platform was harmful specifically to young girls and he did nothing about it. And I resent that because here I am battling for my daughter's life, doing everything I can as a parent. And he put money over profit. And honestly, it was because of the diligence of my husband and I and my parents and by the grace of God in all honesty, that she is with us today. And because she is such a strong person that she was able to overcome it. There have been some slips along the way, but she's here. And I know she doesn't want to see this happen to anybody else. And that's why this lawsuit is so important to us is we want to see change so that this doesn't have to be the silent killer of our generation, which it seems like it's turning into. Wow. Yeah. That's so intense. Alexis, what was the process of recovery like and sort of reformatting your brain to not want a to interact with your phone and social media in that way and b to want to treat your physical body better i think it's something that i still work on every day i think definitely when i was still in high school it was something that was more so still a struggle than now. I think now would probably be the best state I've been in probably my whole life. And just overall, I'm like doing very well and taking care of myself physically and mentally. And it was a very long, grueling process to get to this point. And even at this point, it's not to say I'm 100% better. I don't have an eating disorder anymore. You know, it's always going to be there. And there are still days, even now, being in such a happy and healthy mindset. And I still have days where I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat that. Maybe I should do this instead. Maybe I should fast. And it's like, no, it's kind of learning to work against the bad thoughts that you have. You know, even after I was hospitalized, I had gone, it was two years ago. Now I did a partial inpatient program. So, you know, it's not like I went to the hospital and that's it. I was all better and perfectly fine after that. There are ups and downs and that's just kind of part of the healing journey. It's not 
linear. Yeah. Well, before we go, I want to know how you got involved in the lawsuit and what your personal family goals are in this this social media lawsuit. Well, we became involved with the lawsuit. We had seen a commercial on TV and I'm like, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. That's my daughter. And it just checked all the boxes of everything that Alexis went through. And I think at the time I minimized everything. And I, even when I had called Matt's office, I said, I'm not sure if she really is, you know, qualifying for it, but in hindsight to it all, she was a hundred percent a victim of the social media algorithm. And really it is our goal in this whole lawsuit to make people aware of what the algorithm and what the social media companies are trying to do. A lot of times people say, well, you're her parent. You should know. Again, I have repeated, I can't tell you how involved I am. Alexis will tell you how annoying it is, right, Alexis? <laughs> I mean, it's, but the algorithm is designed to evade parental authority. And it is our goal that we hold these social media companies accountable. We would like to see age and ID verification. We want to see them turn off the algorithm. There's no reason that minors are receiving anorexic content when all they were looking for was exercise content. There's no reason for that. And we really just want to see change to make social media a better place specifically for our youth. Because I think we can all agree this is the way of the future. Social media is here to say, but at this point, it's the wild west and there is no accountability. No one has held the social media companies accountable for their algorithm, for what they're doing for the youth of not only this country, but for the world. And we want to see regulations put in place to make it a safer form of communication for everyone. Yeah. Well, Alexis, Kathleen, thank you so much for coming to talk to us and, and sharing your experiences, which are just like all of life complicated and not always easy to talk about. So I appreciate you being willing to do that with us today and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. All right, my friends, longtime listeners know that Allie and her computer are constantly in a battle of wills and today Allie is not proving the victor, but she is here with us and we are excited. Right now it is time to welcome our next guest. Matthew Bergman is the founding lawyer of the social media Victims Law Center. And we are so grateful to have him here to sort of help us get through what all is going on right now. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having us and thanks for focusing on this issue. Yeah. We know a little bit about it from uh, having spoken with a family who has basically been sort of misused by the social media platform, specifically Instagram. And I want to know what it is that sort of got you involved in this particular issue and how you ended up founding the Social Media Victims Law Center. Well, uh, I've been a lawyer for 30 years, 25 of which has been representing uh, the victims of uh, corporate misconduct, mostly in product liability cases involving asbestos poisoning. And I realized after 25 years and after over a billion dollars in client recoveries that I wanted to do something that not only compensated victims, but helped people stop being victims in the first place. 
This was the fall of 2021. Frances Haugen had her breathtaking testimony in Congress where she just blew the whistle on what the social media companies are doing to their kids and what we know they're doing to the kids. And at the same time, the U.S. Surgeon General uh, issued the alarm bell on teen mental health. And I realized that using the experience I'd had, the scars that I've gotten as a product liability lawyer, I could uh, bring lawsuits on behalf of injured kids and try to hold these companies accountable and put an end to the carnage that is occurring uh, every day in terms of the mental health crises that our kids are experiencing as a direct result of social media. I like the idea that you are looking at it from a known harmful product angle. You know, like they are actively making this thing that they know is bad for people, which isn't really the angle most people are getting fed. Most people are like, we need to tamp down our screen time and we need to be more focused on our kids. But I mean, kids have been watching television, you know, playing video games for decades. And it's only within the past decade that it's really been highly correlated with teen mental health issues. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, and it's not, and you know, you, you can see where uh, mental health was among uh, teens up until 2012. Everything's going well, even in the midst of the economic crisis in the, in the mid 2000s. Uh, it is the advent of social media in 2012 and its rapid adoption among young people that correlates with this spike in mental health crises most uh, uh, horrifically illustrated by the 146% increase in suicide. But you're absolutely right. It's not television and it's also not the internet because by 2012, the internet was ubiquitous among young people and we did not see the kind of uh, mental health crisis that we're now experiencing. Wow. I like that the global collapse of the financial system was not nearly as worrying as Instagram. <laughs> it, well, it, at least in terms of mental health outcomes, uh, it was not. No. Uh, and and that, that's counterintuitive. But what we see is, and, and, and the basis for our claims, is that these products are designed to be addictive. Mm -hmm. uh, when you are on social media, you are not the customer. You are the product. They are selling uh, your eyes to advertisers, and they're selling your data. And so the more time they can keep you online and engaged, the more money they make. And so they have utilized psychologists and artificial intelligence to take advantage of the fact that young people's brains are not fully developed is a simple question of neurology and addict them to the platforms. And the way they do that is by showing them content that is increasingly discordant psychologically. They're not showing our kids what they wanna see they're showing our kids what they can't look away from. And over a period of time, kids get satiated to outrageous conduct and outrageous content. And so the artificial intelligence that drives the algorithms directs kids down rabbit holes where they see more and more and more destructive content uh, to the point where many of them uh, develop severe and life-threatening uh, psychological ailments. This is so wild because, I mean, like you said, the internet's been around, TV's been around, you know, in the beginning, especially with TV, we were all kind of collectively aware, you know, the news isn't actually showing us the news. It's showing us like fear mongering. And we were talking about it and trying to avoid it. But once social media came in, 
we are talking about it, but we can't look away from it. You're like, you're in an echo chamber. You're only getting fed the things that, that the things that are most ingrained in what you want to see or what you need to see because they want you to stay on the platform. And as adults, like I talk about it with my friends all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I keep seeing even like innocuous things like, oh, this jumpsuit keeps getting pitched to me and I don't need another jumpsuit. It's so cute, but I I won't buy it. So I'm not going to click on that ad. I mean, but you might, you might need another another jumpsuit. I absolutely do need another one. So please consider consider contributing to the (laughs) patreon.com. Can't have too many jumpsuits. Thank you. Okay, great. Thank you for your support. Yes. And my phone is definitely listening to me and I will get three cute jumpsuit ads right after this the next time I go on Instagram. Well, and it's so individually tailored. I mean, the you know, um, Meta has 4,000 data points on every individual. So, I mean, they, they, their ability to, you know, direct uh, uh, malign uh, material to people at a, at a highly individualized basis based on their psychological profiling of them, you know, it, it's like 1984, only even more so. Um, and you know, what we know is that kids, in order to keep them online, they'll show them things over time that's very damaging. So, you know, we have a lot of cases where young girls, you know, 12, 13 are interested in exercise. That's what they're looking for. And in short order, they're fed content that uh, promotes anorexia, imagery of the female body that is unhealthy, images and, and, and narratives on how to survive on uh, 500 calories a day, how to how to hide your uh, hide this from your parents. Uh, and again, this is not this is a rabbit hole and not something that they were looking for. It's something that they were sent to keep them engaged. Even more horrific, uh, you have uh, a 16 year old boy that broke up with his girlfriend and is looking for motivational speech and from TikTok gets sent content promoting suicide. Uh, and in a number of cases, children have actually taken their lives after being bombarded with suicide videos from TikTok. This is um, not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It is a result of the deliberate design decisions that these social media companies have made in order to keep our kids hooked on their products. And parents need to stand up and say enough is enough. And courts need to stand up and hold these companies accountable and hold them to the same standard of care of any other company in America And finally, Congress needs to stand up on a bipartisan basis and say, we need to protect our kids. Ooh, you had me until bipartisan basis. I don't know if we'll never get there. We'll never get there. Well, you know, (laughs) I I beg to differ. I mean, as divided as we are as a country, and we are so divided, um, you're seeing a lot of bipartisan support on this issue. Uh, Senator uh, Blackburn from Tennessee and Senator Blumenthal from Connecticut could not be on further apart on most political issues, but they have uh, collectively uh, put a bill together called the Kids Online Safety Act that would do a lot. You see Senator Hawley and Senator Durbin are working together. So uh, I think that this may indeed be uh, one of the few issues where we can, as a country, work together across party lines to protect our kids. Wow. They won't do it for guns, but maybe for social media. Maybe social media will be the gateway drug to guns. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, in terms of regulation. Yeah. If this ever gets quoted out of context, we are both getting canceled. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. I'm already on my way, if anything's taken out of context. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's just testimony to how pernicious these products are and and how significant the damages are that, that 
people of very, very different uh, political and ideological stripes can uh, see this and work together on it. So I'm, I'm very gratified by that and, and hopeful that this might indeed be an issue where uh, we can uh, put our differences aside on, on uh, for the for the benefit of our kids. We all love our kids. Yeah. So you've already started to describe some of these, but what are some of the more specific cases you've taken on and what are you asking for? Uh, so we have uh, cases involving uh, children who have taken their lives after being uh, sexually abused online and shamed online or taken their lives after being bombarded with uh, content uh, from uh, TikTok in particular, encouraging children to, to jump in front of a train, for instance. And, and we have a case where a child actually did that. Other cases involving uh, children who have literally uh, filmed their suicides and posted it online. You can't make this stuff up. It's, it's, it's absolutely, uh, absolutely horrific. With all their access to data and data analytics, how are these accounts even allowed to remain up? Because they have no incentive economically to change their behavior. And this goes to the second question. Why are we seeking uh, money damages, uh, particularly when we have parents for whom money is the least important thing for them? I have never in 30 years had clients less concerned about money and more concerned about justice than these parents. Well, the reason is that these companies have made an economic decision that it's cheaper to have dangerous products than safe products. Because, you know, an economist uses the term an externality. And what that means is that the cost of these dangerous products is not borne by the social media companies. It's borne by parents who have to bury their children instead of children burying their parents. It's borne by the uh, psychologists and doctors who have to care for kids, educators, law enforcement, clergy, insurance companies that have to pay for anorexia, hospitalizations. And the goal of product liability is to internalize the cost. So it becomes cheaper for these companies uh, to build safe products and dangerous products. Look, Meta's own internal documents say tweens are herd animals. A company that refers to children as animals is unlikely to be a company that responds to moral persuasion. And even a, a PR hit is a small price to pay when you're making billions of dollars in advertising revenue. Even multiple lawsuits, right. depending on what you're asking for. But I'm wondering, right, like, what are you asking for? And I hate to be depressing, but is it is it going to have an impact given that they could be, I mean, I think in Europe, doesn't Facebook have like a billion dollar fine it has to pay and it's just going to pay it? Uh, over time, I think their behavior will have to change when they actually have to pay the cost. Look, every other company in America has a duty of reasonable care. You know, we don't build automobiles now the way we did in 1920. We don't build automobiles the way we did in 1980. Why? Because automobile companies have a legal duty to be proactive and to make their products safe. Not perfectly safe, not 100% safe, but to think about safety. And so I think that by imposing the same legal duty on social media that every other company has, a duty of reasonable care, over time, uh, their economic incentives will change and it will be in their interest to design and produce safer products that don't inflict the carnage that is currently being suffered by our, our kids. It's interesting. With all of this data, shouldn't they be able to actually use the algorithm to help kids? Of course. You're saying being just as addictive in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, if their goal is to be addictive, why is it just pernicious only? Because 
that's how they make their money. Look, if, if you talk to 10-year-old girls, virtually every one of them is getting dick pics all the time. I hate to use that term, but that's what it is. Okay. That is the technical term, so you're crushing it. Right. You know. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, you know, you guess you're not going to bleep me then. Why is that? And, and, and the technology exists to prevent that from occurring. You know, through AI, you can tell what is sent, what type of images, and it would be relatively easy to prevent uh, youngsters from getting and receiving and being induced to send explicit sexual uh, content. And that's, that's not, this is not normal sexual development of kids. This isn't normal exploration. This is exploitation, very often by adults. And the technology exists, first of all, to ensure that there's uh, identity verification so that the person interacting with a 12-year-old girl is who they say they are and not a 57-year-old pedophile. Uh, Similarly, sending and receiving uh, explicit uh, images. The technology exists to stop that. They don't do it. There's all sorts of things that can be done to make these products 80% safer. That's off-the-shelf technology. And in many cases, exists. You know, if people want to get on Tinder... There's identity verification. You can't pretend to be somebody else when you're on Tinder. So why are we providing more protection to adults looking to hook up than we are children going online? Well, the reason is that these companies uh, operate in this world of non-accountability. And our job as lawyers is to hold them accountable. You're saying it's not profitable, but I can't imagine that there isn't a... We're in an age where, you know, body positivity and people are trying to reconnect earnestly with people. I feel like they could also be making money in that way. Sure, just not as much. Not as much. Yeah, I mean, it's the same way, you know, you don't have AA programs. You don't have like a 12-step programs for positive things, right? It's always the the negative things that get people hooked. Because positive things take work and effort and staff and time to make, whereas look at this thing. Well, I think it's the opposite. I think it's the opposite. I think positive things don't take as much work and effort and time. And that's why it's not as profitable because once you are happy, you won't need to be on social media as much. <laughs> once you get your information on, say, healthy eating, you're not, you're not going to keep coming back to it or, or you're not going to come back to it as frequently. On the other hand, if you get fed a stream of things that are psychologically discordant, and we know that that has a greater dopamine hit, on a adolescent brain. That's how they're designed. So yes, I mean, you know, you could have a very different social media in which there was say a subscription service. And in, in that case, they would, the profitability would be based on how effective and how helpful the online experience is. That's not their profit motive now. Their profit motive, their, their profitability is not based on the quality of time that kids have uh, online, but the quantity. Now, could you talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say psychologically discordant content? Think about it from the standpoint of uh, you're in a car and you're going and there's a car accident. You're always going to look at it. You are programmed to look at that, even though it's d- difficult to look at. You can't look away from that. You know, that's an evolutionary uh, uh, product because our ancestors who didn't get, who didn't look at dangerous content got eaten by the saber toothed tiger. So this is ingrained in our neurology uh, to look at and to be attracted to uh, difficult content. And the artificial intelligence that, that, that drives these algorithms knows that. And so say you're an African-American young man and you're interested in hip-hop music. The algorithms will direct you over time to content that promotes gang violence and guns. 
That's what keeps you online. Similarly, you see this with respect to extremism. I'm involved in the Buffalo shooting case in which the, the shooter was directed and radicalized over time. And the reason is just it's basic neurology. When you get on a roller coaster, the fear is a dopamine hit. But then you go on the roller coaster 10 times and you're more satiated to that. So you need to go on a more scary roller coaster. Well, the same kind of psychological principle applies with respect to social media. That content keeps you engaged that you can't look away from. Over time, you become satiated to that. And so in order to keep you online, to or in order to keep you engaged, the artificial intelligence that drives these algorithms is, is going to select more and more extreme, difficult, and challenging content. That's why these products have resulted in such dangerous uh, outcomes uh, for our young people. Because again, they're not showing you what you want to see. They're showing you what you can't look away from. Wow. I do think as a society, we're stalled. We need to evolve beyond that. Absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, there's a reason why we can't look away from car accidents and why we like scary movies, but there's got to be some kind of balance. Well, yeah, progress has not, evolution is not, you know, at the same rate as technological progress, which yeah. is the dilemma. But I wanted to ask along those lines, what progress have you seen? We've seen some baby steps. You know, there's steps in the right direction. They're not enough. But, you know, we've seen a little bit more uh, identity verification, uh, a little bit more acknowledgement of just the amount of time that kids spend online being deleterious. It's, it's the take a break thing that Meta's doing. Again, we think it's too little, but, you know, every step in the right direction is a good thing. And if one life is saved, then I'm happy that's happening. But I fear that until they change their fundamental business model, which is based on level of engagement versus quality of experience, uh, you're not going to see the kind of significant changes uh, that you need. I also am wondering what can we do as like individual consumers and participants in society to sort of reroute the ship? A number of things. I think uh, public awareness is important, particularly with young people. They don't usually respond too well to being lectured, but a, a narrative with young people explaining how they're being bamboozled, how they're being taken advantage of, that generally works. You know, the, the, the research on smoking cessation with, with, with young people, when they're told to quit smoking, it doesn't work. But when they're told that you're being manipulated by Joe Camel ads, that does work. So I think developing a narrative, talking to kids uh, about the dangers of social media and how they're being manipulated uh, is, is significant. The other interesting thing is uh, in the public realm is advertising. Lush Cosmetics uh, stopped advertising on social media uh, because they reached a conclusion as a, a socially responsible company that these social media products are hurting, hurting kids. These companies survive on advertising. And if advertisers follow the lead of Lush Cosmetics and, and exercise some uh, corporate accountability and civic responsibility, uh, you can see some change there. That's great. Lush, if you're looking for a place to put those ad dollars, 2G1P <laughs> is willing. I am a Lush products user myself. Oh. Their henna hair mask is amazing. Wait, save it for the ads. I know, okay? right? Save I wish. It. I'm giving, it, I'm giving it for free because they're here for the kids, baby. <laughs> there was a much larger movement a while ago where a bunch of companies took their ads down from social media. Do you guys remember what the cause was, though? No. It, it has happened multiple times. The, yeah. the 
the adpocalypse. It was after Cambridge Analytica, a bunch took them down. That, yep. And it's happened with YouTube also where um, it's just like, hey, did y'all know that there's Nazis on here? Well, we as the Disney Corporation cannot be seen advertising next to Nazi content. Even though our founder was one. <laughs> <laughs> the other great bamboozle as a, as a parent here is that like kids want to get on these platforms to connect with their friends, which I'm... I'm wary of, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I can get behind that as a concept. But then after that connection with known people is made, it's then instantly the algorithm of like, and what about this? And what about this? And based on your habits, what about this? And that's where these platforms get dangerous. We have a 10-year-old daughter and we're very mindful of this stuff. And she can text on an Apple Watch only to approved contacts, which are mostly us and grandparents. But the idea of her, like I've had multiple conversations with her about why she is not allowed to be on TikTok, TikTok or Instagram. Matt just sounded like such a boomer. He was like, why is she not allowed to be on TikTok? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> TikTok today. Social media kind of retards uh, social development among kids. There was a very interesting study that was done where they took two groups of 14-year-olds. They separated them, put one in a rural setting where there was no social media and and then they measured their social acuity their ways you can kind of measure nonverbal communications and things like that and even in a two-week period the group that did not have social media was much able much better able to interact socially so you know we're, we are seeing a generation of kids that really uh, lose the ability to interact positively socially you know kids uh, kids aren't going on dates anymore boys aren't trying to get their driver's licenses all these kind of milestones of child uh, and adolescent development that take place you know can be uh, impeded uh, through social media so you know we know that you know when kids are spending you know five six hours a day on social media that's time that they're not interacting socially and that's I think a very bad thing in terms of uh, ability to interact with other people in a, in a positive uh, and, and effective way. And that's why you should send your kids to summer camp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is so wild that just a two week period of just having to yeah. be with each other could make people better at interacting and thinking about how far behind people are when they're not even getting that much solid time of interacting with other humans. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, kids are, Kids aren't going on dates anymore. You know, Bill Maher has a very interesting uh, narrative about, you know, what it's doing to boys. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's making, in many cases, you know, boys, in, you know, don't develop the, the fortitude to ask somebody out or girls don't have the ability to, you know, the fortitude. And it just makes us, you know, we become so uh, insular within uh, the social media world that, the kind of healthy social interaction, the kind of healthy sexual development that adolescents have been undertaking for, you know, millennia uh, is not occurring in the same way. And, and the impact is is profound. As you said earlier in the in the chat, uh, Matt, I don't I don't want to demonize digital communication writ large or screens writ large, like one to one communication can evolve as technology evolves. But the thing that I try to impart in these conversations and, and of course with with our kids is like mark zuckerberg is sitting between you and the person you're talking to and he proverbially the algorithm is determining what you see and don't see and that is different from texting one-to-one -one, or as you're alluding to matt like 
having a face-to-face conversation. Those are two different things. One is driven by profit and the other is like, oh, we're just we're just communicating, you know, on the internet. Yeah, no, that's, that's very much the case. No, I mean, you've already talked about this a bit, but I just wanted to know if there are any additional thoughts you have on what can be done about this problem. I think what can be done is holding companies accountable, you know, for what they're doing and publicizing just how dangerous these products are. Most parents have no idea what their kids are doing online. It's happened so quickly that it's very difficult to really appreciate how it's taken over the lives of our kids. Uh, But I think that, you know, it's important for authority figures to speak up on this and take action and really explain how it is that these products are so dangerous and what they're doing to kids and just making it part of the narrative. And some of that's happening. I mean, a year ago, no one knew what an algorithm was. Now, you know, now you see it all all over. So we are making uh, some progress. The president in two State of the Union addresses back to back, he focused on this issue. You know, over time, I think we are making progress. I just fear that, you know, we're losing a generation of kids in the process. And I, I don't feel like we have the laxity to be able to kind of saunter into this. Uh, I think we really are dealing with a public health emergency, public health crisis among our young people. We as parents and and we as uh, citizens need to stand up and say enough is enough. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us and for taking on this work. Sounds really uplifting for you. You know, as a lawyer, I always was sorry that I was too young uh, to have missed out on the opportunity to go to Mississippi in 1962 and practice civil rights law. And, you know, to some extent, I think that the moral clarity of this litigation is almost as as stark as the early civil rights cases. Well, it sounds like the goal of these lawsuits is much better than the goal for many, many lawsuits. And I hope that the ultimate outcome is a more aware, safer environment for all of us as we participate in this wild human experiment called life. And as usual, if you have thoughts and feelings about this, you can pop into our Discord, discord.gg slash 2G1P. You can find me across social media at Ali underscore Goldie. You can find me at The Lindsay Life. We haven't had a voicemail in a while, and I love those. That number is... 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. You can also email us, 2G1Podcast at gmail.com and you can contribute to our patreon patreon.com slash 2g1p thank you so much and we'll see you next time heart your faces bye two girls one podcast is hosted by allison goldberg and lindsey ford then submitted into evidence at the u.s district court for the central district of california i mean produced by matt silverman in new york city this episode was edited by Avital Ayler, and production assistance was provided by the Podglomerate. This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet. The Podglomerate.